welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Hello and welcome back bookends, both old and new. We are absolutely bursting to share with you another excellent book in our debut Spotlight series, where we shine a light on the newest and freshest authors. Today we're going to be chatting all about a fascinating new novel, whether violent or natural, a darkly brilliant novel about secrets, lies and what we do to survive at the end of the world. Natasha Calder is a writer from Durham. She graduated from Trinity College Dublin and went on to Cambridge to study in MPhil. Natasha is also a graduate of Clarion West. Her short fiction has been published in Stinging Fly, Lackingtons and Curiosities. Natasha is one half of Calder Shuzak, the writing duo behind The Offset, which was published in 2021. Whether Violent or Natural is Natasha's solo author debut and will be published by Bloomsbury on the 11th of May. Natasha, welcome to A Prayer of Bookends. Hi, thank you. It's very nice to be here. So what we always love to start with is to probe your brain Mm. and ask you, what are you currently reading? That's a very good question, to which I have a slightly annoying answer, which is that I'm currently not reading very much because I'm at a sort of editing phase where I find it really hard to read. Well, not to read, but to take any pleasure from it because sort of get into that very hypercritical mindset. But when I have been reaching for books, I sort of have been going for more non-fiction or graphic novels. And I recently read a book called Alone on the Wall by Alex Honnold, a rock climber, which is super interesting because they have a very specific vocabulary for all the particular holds on the wall and all the gear that they have, which I really enjoy. And then another graphic novel, there's one I read recently called Building Stories, which is mad. It's a whole box full of interconnected pamphlets and things that you can read in any order, sort of all these different aspects of one person's life. And it must have been an insane amount of work to put together and sort of the process of reading it is like having your brain gently rewired. It's really amazing. That is very cool. I want to be gently rewired. but are you a rock climber no I couldn't pretend to be a rock climber I recently started going to a bouldering gym Ah. in the evenings but but that's it are you no I'm not I feel like you would like that book though because yeah I've got a weird sort of current obsession with books about climbing disasters and things like The Void by Joe Simpson it's a really good one and there's Into Thin Air I can't remember the author but um yeah I've let people going up Everest and like and never coming back down again (laughs) well well someone comes down because they write a book about it but um it's not them but um it usually is okay but yeah and I know absolutely nothing about climbing but when I read it I'm like yes I know so much now (laughs) you need to watch that new there's a new uh, film that's come out on Disney plus that's called Finding Michael I think it is oh yeah and it's it's got um is it Spencer Matthews brother um made in Chelsea right yeah Yeah. his brother brother died or well they they don't know if he died he he was lost up Everest and never came back down yeah so interesting I love a mystery uh but yeah Lydia's very dark in terms of <laughs> her tastes reading tastes are very dark in terms yeah. of stuff like that so excellent <laughs> you might have had a very wholesome read about a climber <laughs> Livia's like but do yeah. they nearly die no well this is this is the guy you might have seen there was a film out several years ago called Free Solo so this is the mad fella who goes yeah. up without any ropes at all and really like every decision is is life or death and it is no, wild you. and thrilling yeah <laughs> I love that I that no yeah <laughs> that would just give me some severe yeah, anxiety like, yeah. <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> um so obviously this is in our debut spotlight series and we usually ask what the journey has been like to having your debut novel published or your first book published um but this is technically your second book but your first as a solo author so could you tell us kind of what your experience has been like yeah sort of going back to the very beginning or just for this book no let's hear all of it let's hear all of it all right (laughs) strap in for a slightly long and not very exciting story Um, (laughs) so yes as you say this isn't my first rodeo I had a book out, The Offset, in 2021 that I co-wrote with a friend. And that was something we must have spent the prior year writing together, sort of on and off. We'd both, you know, we we, we met at university and we'd become very good friends and sort of later down the line confessed <laughs> to each other that maybe we'd like to write. And we sort of started doing some small projects together just for the fun of it. And then we hit upon this hook 
for the book or this idea, the concept of that book is when you turn 18, you have to pick one of your parents to die as a carbon offset for your own life. Yeah, also okay. dark. Um, and it was too, it was really, it was too good to pass up. So we we um, spent a lot of time writing that. We actually initially wrote it for um, a young adult slash kids audience. Gosh. But by the, we, we queried some agents with that and the feedback we got was like, this is just too dark yes. for people that young. So, which is fair enough. So we wrote it and queried some different agents, at which point we met our lovely agent, John Ash, and he then worked with us a bit on the book and submitted sent it out on submission and that was picked up by an indie publisher called Angry Robot and it came out in 21 and then subsequent to that it was a very different experience you know not least that I was writing by myself for this book um, but then also doing that in the knowledge that I had an agent to send it to and that was all straightforward I didn't have to jump over that hurdle again and when I'd finished that manuscript he sent it out on submission and we were very lucky to get a publisher so it, it all felt a lot easier the second time around definitely amazing so were you writing this around the time that the offset was published I actually sold it to a publisher the week after the offset was published so yeah so there was a lot of overlap in work I mean I spent there's there's a lot of lag time in publishing between when you sign the deal with the publisher and when it comes out you usually have about a year um which is just enough time to really come to terms with everything that's wrong in the book (laughs) (laughs) and start to hate hate it just a little bit yeah Um, so I had all that time and I think I probably spent about nine months that year writing, writing completely the wrong thing. I mean, it was horrible. And then I sort of, a barrier broke down and, and I jumped in and just started writing this new manuscript in a pretty fairly short amount of time. Um, and it all came together, fortunately. Did you prefer writing with somebody else or did you find it easier doing it independently they're really different I would highly recommend to anyone uh, particularly if you're starting out to try writing with someone I mean it has to be someone you can trust you have to know that their tastes match your own that your work ethic is is aligned but it I think the accountability element can be helpful because you're writing for someone else it can also really help with all that second guessing that happens a lot in writing you know because you're sitting down at the blank page every day going oh you know does this sentence work does this story make sense or whatever once you've already agreed with someone else what the outline is then you have to stick to it and that helps and in my case my co-writer has a lot of lot of talents that I don't have including an excellent eye for plot and a lot of hustle so that <laughs> that helps a great Always deal yeah. <laughs> writing alone is great as well because you get more control and more ownership both of the good parts and more ownership of failure as well, which I think is is also useful because then you get a much clearer idea of what your abilities are. But yes, it's quite different. You do there's a lot more doubt involved. Oh, we're like yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. doubt yes. as a creative. Doubt. Yes, <laughs> never. You know what I'm talking never. about. Oh yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the book itself. I mean, Hannah knows this, but I'm a bit fangirly now. Don't make me blush. No, okay. I got a message off her being like, bear in mind. Lydia is a very harsh reviewer. She will never give a five star to anything. And it infuriates me because I'm like, oh, I'll give that a four star to something. And she'll be Mm. like, are you joking? (laughs) And then she sent me a message after finishing this. And she was like, first five star of the year. I was like, okay. And I hadn't picked it up yet. So I was like, okay, I'm excited now to pick this up because... I'm really honoured. I hope the high expectations didn't ruin it for you, though. No, No, I loved it. But, I mean, I was just shocked at this one, giving it a five star. It's a rare rare occasion that this happened. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I feel like I'm... Forget the booker. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's made my list. That happens every year, yeah. (laughs) So, what I really, really loved about this novel was the narrative voice and the style in which it's written um it's so unique Mm -hmm. it's utterly compelling i mean it had me from the get-go what was the process like trying to capture the voice of kit and trying to to you know develop a narrative voice as a whole yeah it's a really good question and my kooky answer is that 
you know, after nine months sort of bludgeoning my head against the desk, <laughs> it was almost like breaking through a wall and then Kit was on the other side saying, what took you so long? Oh, wow. um, so, you know, the actual writing of it involved, once I had that voice clear, the actual writing of it was pretty easy because it was, you know, if I could get one sentence down, the next one would follow along behind. So it felt very much like it was sort of dictating things down to me, probably sort of trying to think a bit more reasonably about that. Probably I spent so much time like pushing things down into my subconscious thinking things through until they eventually could sort of emerge and I could write more instinctively but once it happened then then actually it was quite hard to get Kit out of my head once I'd sort of tapped into that voice it's it's such a clever like use of language though like I like Lydia said like it sucks you straight in and I was convinced that and if you want me to remove this later on because <laughs> any kind of spoiler tell me <laughs> But I I, th- I was convinced she was a child because of the yeah. way that she speaks. Mm. And I'm not going to say how old she is because I don't know if you want me to mention that. But I was so convinced she was a child because of, of the style of language that you use and the way that you played with language through Kit. And yeah, it, it just completely threw me when I realised that she wasn't a child. child I think especially, all, yeah. especially because she refers to, is it Crevan? Is that how you say his name? I say it as Crevan, but you probably Crevin, say it whatever Crevin. way you like. The way she refers to Crevan as like daddy and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just so like I don't know because we have such a weird like cultural associ- association now with the word daddy we do. It's, it's seen as a sexual term isn't it so yeah. I couldn't kind of remove that from my head and I was like what is this like what is going on here you know like you said you had her voice in your head how did you kind of like it's, it's that thing of like you have her voice in your head but how do mm. you how do you channel that onto the page because it's the way she speaks as well so like what I guess what inspired that style of language like where did that come from just like my brain (laughs) yeah so I think some of it I mean your comment about thinking that Kit's a child is perceptive I mean it's very clearly there in the text but some of the way Kit speaks is taken a little bit from children imagine if I could speak children's (laughs) literature where there's they they foreground a lot more the writing itself you know in sort of once you get to be an adult everything in in fiction tends to go more for the stripped down minimalist you try not to notice the prose happening but when for the very small there's a lot more alliteration they're trying to use rhyme and all sorts of things to make it an engaging experience and it's super playful and I think that definitely informs Kit's style because Kit is immature in a lot of ways and putting putting that immaturity on in some ways it's quite hard to pin pin the fundamentals down of why but that that sort of playfulness and almost hyperfluency seem very important to Kit's character partly because there's not a lot else going on on the island partly because Kit's trying to make things more complicated and muddled all the time so if there's so much noise going on it can hide the sort of frightened child behind everything else and yeah I, th- I think that's probably about some of where it comes from anyway yeah amazing yeah she, it's, it's so unique and I just I can imagine that this book wasn't difficult to sell because it is in in the way that it's so unique and that her narrative voice is so unique I can't think of another word apart from I unique listeners take shocked for every time I say unique <laughs> <It'll> <laughs> <all be drunk. laughs> but thematically you seem quite drawn to to themes of of survival and sacrifice and I feel like you quite enjoy an end of world scenario (laughs) Um, (laughs) or like a sort of the state of the world sort of scenario (laughs) which obviously it comes through in whether violent or natural but it also Mm -hmm. um is explored in the offset yeah um, what is it that, that draws you to writing about these things and and where do you draw inspiration from <laughs> in terms of those things is it the current state of the world or <laughs> yeah yeah I mean definitely they're just sort of elaborations of, of things that are currently happening all the time some of it is just, just like Lydia chance. you just love the darkness <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I, I worry that yeah the darkness. I, the darkness I worry that some of it is laziness because if it's the end of the world the stakes are non-negotiable and they're really clear so that does a lot of my work for me <laughs> uh, which is a terrible terrible reason to do something you know a good writer should be able to to write a compelling novel about someone having a piece of toast um <laughs> but I am not that writer 
Uh, I'm not that reader. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that too. And yes, so that's one side of things. Another side of things is the moment you're pitching things sort of into the future, I get to have much more control as a writer over exactly, well, over every detail of the world. And I get to explore things that I find interesting, particularly in this case, it's sort of antibiotic and antimicrobial resistance, which is something I've been thinking about for a long time. And then I also, because it, one, one of the benefits of dark things, I mean, why people possibly enjoy horror and very sort of disaster-based content, some of it is escapism just pure and simple and I definitely enjoy that as a reader and I write for some of the same reasons that I read which I don't necessarily want to always be sitting in this room having exactly the life that I'm having now. No I think it's definitely a case of for me I think as a reader I'm always looking for that element of escapism but also I think and what's great about this book as well is that despite there being this kind of narrative around what's going on it is the, the simplicity of of just people in it you know it's about people and I find that that's something that like sci-fi and and horror novels do really well and they're completely underrated for Mm -hmm. is the fact that it's not always about what's going on it's about the people (laughs) yeah absolutely and actually I would say with with I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but if you've got something concept-driven, like a science fiction novel or a horror novel, you have more of an obligation to make your people in your world realistic because you've got to bring the reader along with you. And if it's too far-fetched, then people are going to lose interest pretty quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. And let me tell you, I did not lose interest. (laughs) (laughs) Not for a a second, let me tell you. Um, I'm so pleased. And I think that one of the things that I really loved about the book was kind of how great of an unreliable narrator Kit is throughout mm-hmm. all of it, and I, I won't reveal too much, but a lot of a lot of what Kit says and does leads us into a kind of mysteriousness and a, a kind of sense of ambiguity throughout mm. the whole of the novel. Like literally <laughs> to the last page, you're like, "What? Okay." <laughs> so for me, it was really important that it was only told through Kit's perspective. Yes. What was that like as a decision? like was that it's going to be Kit and it's going to be Kit all the way through or was there a possibility of having anybody else's narrative voice in it? Well there is I did think about it because it was quite hard with Kit being so unreliable to resolve any everything in a way that would be at least a little bit satisfactory for the reader mm. um, and make make certain things clear. Um, so I toyed around with having sort of at the very least maybe a long letter from Creven at the end to explain certain things and I think I thought that was maybe about as far as I could do it because sort of interleaving chapters from his perspective with chapters from Kit's perspective would be I mean it would be you get a lot of whiplash going from their different (laughs) styles because Creven is very very minimal and practical and Kit is is over the top in every regard but you know, I trust my agent a lot and he he read some drafts. He was like, this letter thing is, is a bit of a crux. <laughs> you need to work harder at this. Um, and he was right. <laughs> he was totally right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's just, it's so, again, we're talking about the uniqueness of the voice and things, but I think it's so important that we don't leave her because mm. it's so essential to the feel of the book. Do you agree? Yeah, and... <laughs> She she just is so unreliable though, isn't she? Like I was messaging you, like, like I don't need to believe her. I don't <laughs> believe her. This. And I'm like, is this real? Is this not real? Like, where's she taking him? Yeah, of it was being like, which bits am I gonna believe and which yeah. bits am I not? Which yeah. bits do I feel like she's gonna be telling the truth about? Mm. What do I feel really happened? And I feel like it's a great book for like repeated reading, for like going back yeah, and reading and being like, new from it. Yeah, yeah. And being like you know what now I know this how do I feel don't because I'm gonna turn into that meme you know of the guy that's <laughs> oh what's it from but he's, he's against the wall and he's like got crazy hair and yeah. crazy eyes and he's got all of his <laughs> post-it notes on the wall that's gonna be me after my fifth <laughs> reread of this <laughs> <laughs> 
breaking a sweat on it. Oh, that's great. I mean, I love that. I love I love books that trust their readers and that are very happy for. Oh, I love it when I get to read something and I get to make up my mind about what happened and I get yeah. to change it and change my mind as well when I reread it. And yeah, it's very nice to hear that you feel the same way about this yes, book. Definitely. Um, but one thing that I, I found uh, really interesting about Kit is her like, darker impulses. <laughs> and sure. um the way that sort of morality i guess is called into into question especially when again about spoilers i'm very <laughs> conscious especially when a woman appears on the island unannounced yeah i don't know if you even want me to say that <laughs> no you can say that i'm pretty okay, sure that's in the blurb, but yeah <laughs> um, but did you feel the the darker elements of her character were were directly caused by survival instincts or did you sort of perceive her as quite a dark character anyway? Yes, I, I think I perceived Kit as quite dark and, you know, without giving too much away, there's good reason for that in Kit's mm-hmm. backstory, but also just the context of the world that Kit inhabits, mm-hmm. which is quite, you know, it, it, it's the end of the world um, and things have got quite dark. So, of course, Kit's darkness is a response to that. But there's also, you know, there's sort of a philosophical element. Kit and Kreven live on an abandoned island. What does morality mean there? You know, mm-hmm. where does it come from? Who enforces it? So it seemed quite natural to explore some of those more darker instincts on Kit's side, not least because Kit is pretty powerless to affect those darker instincts. Yeah. yeah and she it's difficult with Kit because she is obviously an unreliable unreliable narrator and the way that she speaks at times is quite is quite like I said it's quite childish mm. so then when, when these things like when you hear about a darker impulses it like really throws you <laughs> Yeah. You're like, think, whoa, where's this come Where did I come from? One think, minute you're calling somebody daddy and then you're saying this. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> My brain can't compute. I think a, a lot about Kit's character that, that I quite enjoyed is their impulsivity. Mm. And they feel like I want to do this and I'm going to do it. <laughs> Which maybe I relate to too much. Yes. I mean, I'm not doing some of the things that happen in the book, but, you know, anyone that knows me knows that I want to do it, doing it. Um. So, but I love, I really loved that kind of element to her because she, it meant that you you were never quite sure what she would do. Do next, yes. Because which which gives gives that voice a very unhinged element. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I found it fascinating that. But we love an unhinged character anyway, don't we? we do. Unhinged females are <laughs> important <laughs> to literature, let me tell you. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious before, obviously, we know it's set in the future. Did you have... Because I don't think there's a particular date set in the specified in the novelist. Mm. Did you have? Were you purposefully keeping a date out of it, or did you have a like timeline in mind? Uh, I was purposefully keeping a date out of it, oh, okay. in part because of well, because of the fact that Kid is hiding certain things, and specifying right. dates would then be complicated, potentially giving certain things away. Mm. But the sort of world posited in the book is probably not so far away not hundreds and hundreds of years I mean if we're talking about antibiotics themselves you know they were only developed in this at the start of the the 20th century or partway through the 20th century and we're talking you know and we're already now talking about a slide into antibiotic resistance with um very few uh, I think very few new antibiotics being developed Mm. um so we're looking at a period of like 60 to 90 years between the first one being created and the final one becoming ineffective Mm. so it's a very short amount of time and we could you know easily within 50 years find ourselves at a point where we don't have anything that works anymore Mm. (laughs) sorry it really didn't help that when i was reading this book i was on antibiotics (laughs) oh no oh i'm so sorry and i do hope you finished your course (laughs) it was it was yeah it was my wisdom too so okay okay yeah but I was reading this book and I was like, oh. <laughs> so very like, would you call it a meta experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you were fully in it, fully in it, extremely, yeah. fully immersed. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, I actually didn't even link that. They yeah. <laughs> so moving on, um, the book. 
book although it's set on an island surrounded mm. by this like vast ocean yeah. um it you somehow managed to make the smallest of spaces become mm. like this little world it's amazing and Good. it's just <laughs> a sense of kind of claustrophobia but then also comfort which I th- feel like people with anxiety will mm. understand what I'm talking about here but sometimes what you need is a wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> Sometimes what you need is wardrobe. Sometimes what I mean. you'll yeah. understand what I mean. Um, but you need to be confined and, and safe. Was it a focus of yours to kind of scale down Kit's world to make to make that kind of effect? Yes, and some of it was so maybe the previous rubbish manuscript I'd been writing that I threw <laughs> out entirely. That part of the problem with it was it had sprawling cast, sprawling setting, mm-hmm. and being you know, I guess at the start of my career, I am not very talented. <laughs> that got out Lies. of my control pretty Lies. quickly. <laughs> well, certainly with work to do then. And so some of addressing that was saying, oh, well, how far can I strip this back? You know, what's the minimum cast that I can have? What's the minimum location I can have to keep everything under control so I can make sure that everything's properly explored and I'm not just doing big, vague brush strokes, um, sort of gesturing towards an, towards an expanse that I don't really have any idea about. So two seemed to be the minimum number of characters and then putting it on an island made a lot of sense. But then the moment you start unpicking, it's like, okay, so they are on an island, but how do they live? Where do they go for shelter? What does that mean? You know, if they're having a healthy lifestyle and all that means there has to be some food there. So how is their food there? And then you start getting into well there must be a bunker somewhere with supplies and then just the more I would sort of explore and work it out the more it did unfold and that island became quite a big playing ground really so it sort of happened organically how did you go about mapping the the setting out though like did did you have to draw it out for for your own writing or was it literally just all your imagination you've just written it I had some rough ideas so that the island in the book is uh, connected to the mainland by a causal side uh, causal path and I, there I've been to a couple in the UK that have a similar setup there's St Michael's Mount off the coast of Cornwall and then there's Lindisfarne off the coast of North- Northumberland just up here um, so I would sort of explore maps of those islands to help guide me <laughs> on mm. where things might be but um, otherwise otherwise it was easy enough to sort of keep it in my head yeah, it's fascinating now I have a quote you don't have a quote I do have a quote and uh, no I do I'm I'm really sorry we do this dead annoying thing I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast but we sometimes read few, yeah. yeah we sometimes read yeah. quotes of people who for back it. to them love to hear sorry. it sorry <laughs> only ones we really love though yes <laughs> you say that to all your no pressure <laughs> <laughs> so because i'm wary about giving too much away i'm just gonna read this just read it yeah i'll just read it <laughs> that's the way it was same as the way it is now really or near enough as to make no difference perhaps it has been static all along perhaps there never was any let up or relief never any time when the sick were not subjected to misdiagnosis and negligence to contemptuous dismissal to treatments careless and insidiously malign Never any period in which the voiceless were not barbarously coerced into being experimented upon or quietly folded into trials of which they had no knowledge and so to which they could not possibly consent. Now, giving no context to that is quite (laughs) difficult, but I feel like it does give a bit of a feel for... For the novel. Now, the the reason I wanted to read that out is because mm. I was really interested in a couple of terms that you use in the book. Um, obviously, the term backbiters is used quite often. Yeah. It's used as a derogatory term, and the concept of the of the voiceless and sort of the the power dynamics between these backbiters and the people that I've just described. Well, these power dynamics seemingly between them that Kit describes. I don't know. It just that whole dynamic really intrigued me. Um, was this inspired by? I feel like I've asked inspired a lot but was it inspired by anything in current society uh yeah definitely so I mean without wishing to do the medical profession down mm. it was the the role of the backbites is definitely inspired by the various times now and throughout history mm-hmm. where medical institutions have at 
the best been negligent of their patients mm-hmm. and at worst, you know, coerced them into experiments, been treated them badly, caused deaths and all sorts of horrible, horrible things. My um, a writer from the offset is actually um, going to bring out a nonfiction book next year on medical misogyny that's going to be called The, the Stitch Up. Um, and she has a lot of fascinating and terrifying things to say about the history of medical practices and how harmful they've been for women. And there are, there are several things that are known now in popular consciousness about sort of like say, the forced masturbation of women as a a treatment for hysteria and more things being under review now, like treatment of uh, mothers and uh, babies at uh, various trusts, at various NHS trusts. Mm. Um, And then I think we also saw it being one of the things that influenced the vaccine rollout off the back of the COVID pandemic, the various sections of society that were less willing to come forward and have those vaccinations because Mm -hmm. for years and years and years, the medical profession has given them every reason to distrust them. Mm. Um, So, yes, it was, I mean, all of that discourse was very, very current at the time I was writing and something I've been interested in for a while. So so that was definitely influenced by that. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would influence yeah. influence that and I think it was so difficult around the, the time of Covid and the vaccine rollout there was so much discourse like you said and there was there's a word that I'm looking for about the fact that there's two there was like two like major opposing sides to the mm, vaccine yeah. what's the word mm. I'm looking for but it, it kind of off. you were ever in one camp or the other weren't you yeah, yeah. and it felt yeah. like there was people kind of disrespecting people on both sides mm. so it was like you know there was people that were against the vaccine for their own reasons that were kind of criticizing people for getting the vaccine they were calling them sheep and they were mm. not all of them but they were criticizing people weren't they and then there was yeah. people People that were deciding to get in the to get the vaccine that were calling people choosing not to get the vaccine calling them really selfish yeah. even though they have no idea what why that person has what particularly the chosen were. yeah yeah um so I think yeah it was very really, really interesting because I was definitely reading that through that lens of like mm. COVID because I think that's my only kind of cultural sort of reference point mm. really and I mean my one of my friends has dealt with endometriosis and it took a long oh, time gosh, for her yeah. to get diagnosed and the way that she's been treated um it's, it's been horrendous and you know I she ended imagine. up having to go private because she was being all of her pains were being passed off as like IBS and stuff so definitely I think what you were saying like the way that women historically have been treated is is horrendous mm. yeah absolutely and there are there are other ethnic groups as well that have, have experienced similar things and yes and all of this is in a context where I'm not anti-vax at yeah. all I'm in yeah. favor of vaccine and our doctors and nurses have been doing heroic work and subject to all kinds of violence and horrors themselves mm. definitely but acknowledging that doesn't mean that we can't try and address some of the horrors that the medical establishment has practiced on absolutely. various parts of the population yeah exactly. absolutely and i feel like with this book as well with with kit's sort of like we've been talking about her unreliable nature throughout all of mm. it you know it does kind of leave that up to you about the backbiters and about the decisions that may or may not have been made mm. And where you feel that, you know, you might stand on decisions that they make Mm -hmm. in the book. And I don't think that you, you put your opinion in there. Mm. I don't think it's not very much kind of here's the information and do with that what you will, Mm -hmm. which I think is the best thing with stuff like that yeah definitely definitely yeah it's it's very hard when writing on issues that have I guess particularly at the time I was writing this have a certain amount of political cur- political currency not to just slip into diatribe yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually I suppose Kit's voice was then quite helpful in that because it limited what I could say anyway because yeah, it, it had to be true to Kit absolutely and one of the things that I really want to speak about and I'm excited to talk about <laughs> <laughs> The relationship between Kit and Kevin, because I, I mean, I loved it. I was just there for it every second, like, yeah. (laughs) Um, But it, because it's so complex and so nuanced. And there were parts of it that were, there's this like casual intimacy between the two of them. Mm. And we're not Mm. quite sure whether it's the intimacy of what you feel like would be a father and a child mm-hmm. or then there's little moments where you think well that's you know is this going different, to be a sexual a different yeah. thing yeah. you know there's, there's there is a a part where she kind of kisses his hand and <sighs> like these moments and I'm like oh okay 
okay, that happened. And so, and it's also because we're watching it from Kit's perspective, the sense of kind of disassociation and the manipulation mm-hmm. in the way that she's talking to him, treats him and her actions towards him. You know, sometimes you think, you know, oh, she needs him and then it's, well, no, she doesn't want him now because mm. he's done this one thing that's annoyed her. Yeah. And, <laughs> and things, you know? And it's so, so multi-layered. It's just a fascinating uh, dynamic. So what was it like creating the two characters and making them work together? It took it was it, it took a long time to, to, to get it quite right. I think probably in the first draft, Creven spoke a lot about Kit because it was not about everything that Creven said probably sounded like something that that Kit could have said, but that that mm. was just because Kit's voice was so overpowering. I was writing everything in in that mode, so I had to sort of go back through it and address every single thing that he'd said and every single action that he'd taken, and sort of create his character that way. Was sort of you know deciding a little bit what was in opposition to Kit, and then narrowing it down further and saying, okay, well, what do we know about Creven at least from Kit's perspective, and just fixing everything to that sort of the handful of phrases that he would say and. The things that he would do and it was quite hard to work out that balance as well just because it's so grounded in Kit's perspective that line between things that you know whether Kit is toying with Creven or whether Kit is afraid of sexuality whether Kit is sort of frozen in a childish state that means that going beyond would mean breaking the childish illusion so it was sort of playing with that all the time and knowing that whatever Kit is up to whatever Kit is trying to affect Kit still has a body and you know desires and things like yeah. that that mm. are going to be feeding back in certain ways that, that Kit would then have to respond to and try and shut down down or act upon yeah so it was it just took a long time <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you can see the work you can see it it's such a a brilliant dynamic that I don't think it's very layered isn't it it's it's not just you know here's two people chuck them in a room see yeah. what happens mm-hmm. because there's so much more to it and it's just honestly yeah I'm, I've not read anything like it before no and I'm finished it and I was I messaged Lydia when I finished it I was like I have so many questions <laughs> <laughs> Let me help. (laughs) I'm really pleased about that too. (laughs) But the annoying thing is, is that trying to knowing it's okay I've got loads of questions I can speak to the author about it but then also being like oh well uh, I'm speaking to the author prior to publication so I actually have to be wary of spoilers so I'm actually speaking after yeah (laughs) yeah listeners I'm gonna be getting all the answers after this (laughs) we'll just have to I mean yeah I mean there's there's also there's a limit to this sounds kooky too there's a limit to how many of the answers I know yeah yes yeah I I don't think I can say any any more on that without sounding like a total fool no let me tell you this is what I love. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna go off on it. I'm getting on the soapbox, <laughs> right? <laughs> but this is what I love, right? Because the the things that fascinate me the most in the world, right? Mm. I am on the soapbox. <laughs> In the Go world is is stuff that is not black and white and that yeah. you'll never get an, an answer to. I love, I love the fact that we as a society, we as people, we live in these margins between, you know, the truth and, and fiction. And these characters just toe that line mm. the whole way through. We don't know yeah. what is true, what is real. And it's just so fascinating. There is nothing more nourishing creatively than to sit there and try and figure out the puzzle. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I'm I'm a medievalist by by trade from my master's degree. By trade? Can you say that? <laughs> by training? Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. no medievalist <laughs> trade. Um and there's I heard an academic once give a wonderful description of reading Chaucer, which was the idea that the more pressure you put on the text, the more meaning came out of it. You could like press it down like like a sponge full of water and everything would well up out of it. And it's th- that feeling of being able to do that as a reader is so rewarding and nourishing, just like you said. That, that's one of the things I love too. Yeah, and Lydia loves any kind of... You love a book that keeps you guessing yeah. and you like not being given all the answers. This is like the perfect yeah. book for Lydia. It's like, <laughs> thing, right? it's like a magic trick. Yeah. There is nothing, it's really simple, but there is nothing more exciting, fascinating, interesting than when someone does a magic trick. (laughs) And there is nothing more disappointing than when they tell you how they do it. What it it is, yeah. (laughs) 
because you're like, what? <laughs> oh, of course it was. It's just they revealed too much. They, they revealed too much. Gone and the interest is gone, and the you know the the wonder of it's gone. And mm. with this book, what it does so perfectly is it does the best magic trick, and you're never <laughs> going to know the end. You know, I'm you're never going to know how. Really to pleased it. to hear you say that. I mean, I do definitely agree. I know what you mean about the magic trick. And I think one of the things about if you read a lot, you get wise to what the basic tricks are pretty quickly. You can see them coming. It starts to be less engaging. And then you start, you stop looking for, oh, what's just a good story? And, you know, are the characters believable? And start really looking for things that surprise you. And I feel like when I was reading as a kid, every book was surprising and exciting and wonderful. And now I'm an adult, it's like one in 10, maybe, if I'm lucky. So when those books come along, you really treasure them forever. Yeah. I think basically you need Lydia with you uh, the night before publication to give you a. <laughs> I give you a boost. Give You're me a amazing, and here's all the reasons why. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so my my sort of final question mm. is a bit silly. Right. It's about, <laughs> about the book. <laughs> is whether through writing this novel, um, you placed yourself in these situations as an exercise, and and how well equipped do you think you would be in an end of world type situation? <laughs> You mean literally? Did I place myself under literally. these circumstances? Well, I mean, not in a literally, but were you like, oh, how would I be in this situation? Like, what would I be doing? Uh, <laughs> I told you it's silly. No, no, it's not silly at all. I mean, I think because I'm an actor, I was like, how mm. how would I like that? How would I respond yeah. straight away? So I'm always curious. Like, okay, well, how would you respond? How would it feel for you as a writer? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm drawing on my own interiority anyway when I'm doing it. So there's an element of myself in Kit and there's an element of myself in Crevin and I guess those are those are two ways I might respond (laughs) at the end of the world but obviously when you're writing you know you have to pin it down a lot more yeah clearly because Mm. it's got to work on the page whereas in real life you get to be even more ambiguous and Mm, deny to yourself that you'd probably just go to pieces and starve to death somewhere and cry which is is probably the most likely scenario, you know. <laughs> Either, back no. in a writing workshop, people did these little games where they would ha- say, you know, what's our team for the end of the world? What are the skills that we all have? This is how we'd band together. This is how we'd deal with it, which is a wonderful exercise, but I think it's probably quite far from reality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it stresses me out thinking like, about... You make a really, really good latte, but that would be useless. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> Also, my it's funny you say that because my first thought then was uh, you saying just ending up being starved and crying, and I was like, no food. Uh, <laughs> where does the food, food come from? Yeah. Who would make the food? Who would you make the like, food? Where would you get it? You know, if the supermarket's shut, shut down and there's no food there, what's your next port of call? Do you have a vegetable garden? Do you have some chickens wandering the lawn? I don't. Line, no. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. You'd be like, where's my sourdough and avocado? Shut up. <laughs> if you were really thinking about it you'd you'd if you acknowledge that you couldn't survive you'd probably like have one last blowout meal or something maybe that would be good but I think even that would require a level of being together and cool with the situation that that I don't think I would have yeah (laughs) definitely not yeah, I think as well, if I was Kit and a woman washed up on the beach, I'd just push them back. Push them back. <laughs> no, thank you. Don't need any more problems. It's bad enough. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a that's... very, very key thing to know about yourself, Lydia. It really is. Obviously not. You've just revealed a lot know. about your personality. Listen, <laughs> if you can't be honest on the podcast, like, you can be honest. No one's going to arrest me. <laughs> Ask your last bloody question. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I apologise. I digress from my murderous intentions. Before we let you go, um, I want to say, well, I, I put here, I want to say how much I love the novel, but I feel like I've already kind of done that. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. I hope it's come across. I am quite subtle. 
I wanted uh, to talk uh, just a little bit about how great your world building is. Oh, thank you. And how just absolutely immersive the whole experience of reading the book Mm. was. Um, For me, it was very much, again, we're talking about, you know, holding back stuff, giving a little bit away, maybe Mm. not giving too much away. How hard was it for you to decide what you were going to tell us and what you were not going to tell us without spoilers? It was quite hard. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite hard. Some I mean, a lot of it was led by Kit's voice. You know, I'd yeah. go for walks, I'd lie in bed at night just thinking of sentences that Kit might say. And then, so that's sort of dependent on what Kit would be interested in in any one moment. So you start with Kit trying to explain something about the castle ruins, and that would then spin out into a paragraph, a page, an entire chapter. And the salient information of that would all be there. And I would be trying sort of as a writer to keep certain things vague and if I couldn't keep them vague keep them ambiguous to leave myself with room later on because yeah. <laughs> who who knows what was going to happen <laughs> later so we sort of wrestled we we me and Kit together wrestled <laughs> and, and then of course you forget when you're writing the first time that you can go back mm. to your draft and put things in that you'd forgot to put before <laughs> and take things out that really gave too much away so there was a lot of that as well <laughs> uh, I would find that difficult you would find that very easy I would find that very difficult um, um yeah. I give too much <laughs> you do you've answered all the questions page one so this is the yeah. end guys this it's is such concept. it's such a yeah, it's such an obvious uh, rule the moment you're told it, but but definitely a writer told me once, it's like you could you put the foreshadowing in afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Whereas me, I'm like no foreshadowing. No. No, you'll not know anything. <laughs> Completely. Nothing at all. And actually, in, in an original draft, it was mu- there was much less foreshadowing of anything, mm. and a much starker twist. If it's not too much to give away, give it away to say that there is a twist. And um, I was persuaded to both turn. Down, tone down the twist and sort of put in a little bit more build up towards it. <laughs> oh my gosh! If there, no, jaw <laughs> dropping. For our bookends listening, if you love a twist, yeah, this is yeah. Well, I mean, and that's uh, some people do like a twist, and some people really can't stand them. So that's yeah. fine, you no, know. It I takes takes all sorts. <laughs> but it's not a convention. It's not a conventional twist. It's not one you see coming in. It's not something that feels uh, contrived or like it's just put in for effect. It's very mm. much still. It's completely and utterly part of the world. It's not. It's not something that you'd find jarring, which I find no, not at all. Not at all with novels. Uh, So basically, if it wasn't obvious, we really enjoyed this book. (laughs) We have a lot of thoughts. So pleased. (laughs) I'm really delighted that's made made all the toil worthwhile. (laughs) We we have a lot of thoughts, but we don't want to give any spoilers away. But hopefully that will uh, push our listeners to buy the book. And I will be popping a link in the show notes for the book, which, as I've said, it is out on the 11th of May, which is very exciting. Once you've read it, DM me. Let me know. Let's have some conversation. (laughs) Now, before we let you go, we always like to finish on recommendations. So do you have any book or cultural recommendations? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm always somehow about six months behind, at least with um, (laughs) things to watch, you know, TV and films (laughs) or something. But at Christmas, I did watch boiling point which is amazing i mean that's a masterclass in just throwing up you know putting several balls into the air and then landing it's amazing (laughs) it really is and then other cultural recommendations i've been cultivating an obsession with the band sparks fantastic (laughs) recently if you are and great place to start if you want to get into some into a rock band that started at the end of the 60s and is just bringing out their latest album a great place to start is uh, Edgar Wright has a documentary called the Sparks Brothers about their career and it is charming and hilarious and definitely worth a watch I love that the fact that you are cultivating an object (laughs) like this is like that (laughs) that's the way I'm gonna frame my weird obsessive nature Honestly, I'm the same. It's, you know, it's determined, right? This is my, this is my new one, but totally you know, I've chosen yeah. to do it. Chosen <laughs> to be it's not happening to you. You've got to, you've got to take control of your obsessive tendencies. No, Lydia has <laughs> chosen to be obsessed with Pedro Pascal at the moment. Pascal. Oh, she's really? Yeah. What if you listen? Oh, she's you obsessed. She, it's to the point where she ordered his Starbucks order the other day when she doesn't even drink coffee. coffee. 
And his Starbucks order is like an iced Americano with like six no, shots of no, espresso in it. A quad espresso with two extra shots with ice and a venti cup. <laughs> that is next level. <laughs> I just... It was nice. I wish I'd have been there to wait. see the barista's yeah. face. Like <laughs> She was confused. Yeah, I would be. Um, but <laughs> How did you not... even uncover that? So... <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> so someone equally obsessed with me had took a picture of a Starbucks in his hand and the, the, he had the sticker on of what he had. Okay. And yeah, it's, it's, I know it's become unhealthy. I went onto our podcast Instagram the other day that we share yeah. and the first story that I could click on was his. And I was like, <laughs> Lydia, like, why are you following him on the podcast Instagram? Um, stop yeah. it this is going too I'm, far it's you know it's I'm not normal Natasha it's not normal <laughs> it's not, but that's that's what happens sometimes when you cultivate an obsession yeah sometimes <laughs> it spills over into your own life no however not. this is getting edited out because I'm not having him confessing it this yeah. back. what if he just stumbles across me or what if I'm I just gonna put this on a link maybe yeah. I'll be charmed you never know <laughs> that chance now that you've actually found out bought and drank the same order as he has there's no way you're going to be cool and casual if you ever meet me i don't think i've ever been cool and casual with anyone look at the way i'm dealing with you (laughs) oh and on that note (laughs) do you have any book recommendations oh yeah sure i do indeed so there are actually there are a couple coming out this year that i'm looking forward to one is falling animals by sheila armstrong you might have read her short story collection last year how to gut a fish oh, oh i've yes, heard this yes, yeah yes. it's i mean you can get the short story collection right now and it's beautiful but the i think it comes out the 25th of may so just shortly after mine and it's about the body of an unidentified man who gets washed up onto an isolated beach so very similar thematically and then there's i recently read relatively recently read a book called temper by phoebe walker so shout out for another writer in the northeast right yeah yeah she's she's amazing and you can really she's got a background in poetry i believe and so there's lots of beautiful sentence level writing love that and the cover is amazing for that it's gorgeous yeah it's super and then one final one is there's a book called dry land by b pladek which is coming out in the states in the fall which is an alt history novel about a world war one forester in the midwest who discovers he has the power to uh, grow trees from nothing i got to read a much earlier draft because the writer's a friend of mine and it is delightful Oh wow! Amazing. No, that sounds like a bit. So many good recommendations. I love it. I'm. I am really excited. It, it, Temper. It's called. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm really excited to read that. Definitely. And I feel like the it's first fantastic. one you mentioned is a bit of you. It is a bit. Of me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've just got the same brain, Natasha. Definitely, almost <laughs> mirror image. Yeah. Obviously, yours is much more talented than mine. But yeah. still, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make that claim. <laughs> but Natasha, unfortunately, this is we've got to the end of our interview, and Lydia's going to be crying all night about it. <laughs> but thank, thank you, you so much for coming on to a pair of bookends. Uh, we've loved chatting to you, and we cannot recommend that our listeners go buy this book enough. No. Uh, I mean, seriously, guys, do actually contact me when you've read it because I really need some people to talk to about it. <laughs> Very scared. Um, Natasha, can our listeners find you anywhere on social media or are you off that? I am not on social media because I am a grouch. But uh, <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> uh, I do have a very minimal website, which is natashacalder.com, and there is a contact form if if anyone's really desperate. <laughs> They've got lots of questions about the book. They're going to be yeah. <laughs> hammering that contact form. <laughs> You're going to get a ping later. Like, <laughs> hey, go for it. So, Natasha, what's your Starbucks order? <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> I'm not. I'm so bloody misery. No, not normal. Like, you know <laughs> Stephen King in it. No, thank you. I mean, number uh, one, Natasha, thank you so much for your time today and good luck with publication. We can't wait to see what's next for you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You've given me a wonderful time. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
please do not forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps us to reach other listeners um if you'd like to give us a follow you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on instagram or on twitter and tiktok at a pair of bookends and that is all we've got time for today so thank you once again natasha i haven't watched it this time <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs> <laughs>